Welcome to Voices of Experience on Kixie AM 880 and KKNW 1150 AM. It's simulcast with KKNW AM. My name is Paul Casey. You know what? I said last week that that show is the best show in the history of radio. Yes. I'm going to admit I was wrong. <laughs> you were wrong. Yeah, because this okay. one is. Oh, okay, good. This one is going to be a lot be of pressure here. The best in the history of radio. <laughs> nice. That's Eric Crema talking to me. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great. And I want to mention, too, that this program airs on podcasts. So anyone that at any time, anywhere, that on whatever device they want, they can get this show. Great. So I recommend that. Thank you for that. You are correct. It keep you company, you know, if, you, if you're commuting home like an hour from now, listen to it, you know, on the app, listen to or not and, in the app. Yeah, and, and I do believe I have this right. If you... um. Google Voices of Experience. That's all you need to do. And then there'll be a Voices of Experience something there, and I think it's involved with some other outfit. But right beneath that is this show, and the podcast is right there. So you can just it's go Voices of Experience, mm-hmm. boom, and you can listen to them all. And there's Eric Ryder here. He's looking very important behind the scenes there. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. I'm glad to, glad to know I'm looking important. Yes, Thank because you. you are. You are the heart and the brains of Absolutely. this Absolutely. This thing, we wouldn't even be on the air without Eric. That's right. And we don't want to make him mad no. because he could shut us off and we could sit here and think we are on the air. Yep, that's but, right. But we are today. Well, as I said... I didn't want to over-advertise it as the best show in the history of radio, but just hear what's going to be on today. Voices of History, again. Yes. 50 years ago today, this event took place in Long Beach, California Harbor. That's all I'm going to give you. And uh, if you have it, great. Uh, if you don't, that's great, too. Um, one hit wonder for today. This is a family of five siblings who recorded this song in 1970. Very uplifting song in very turbulent times. It has been re-recorded many times by many different artists over the years. That's a real mm. shot in the dark there. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, so that's going to be on later today. That's really interesting, Paul. I tell you, I'm excited too about an interview I have with Susan Altman. She's executive director of the American Lung Association. We're going to talk about the formation of that organization and uh, its history, obviously, but also the good work that they're doing today to help people have the best lungs that they can have. I understand we have some great comedy coming. Our comedy clip today is from Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster. And uh, the subject I'm going to play from their podcast is something called Earworms. Earworms. Do you know what that is? Earworms. You should in this business. To you, Eric. Sure, it's just a song that gets stuck in your head and you can't get it out. See, I have not heard that, but it makes sense. Yes. No, my my brothers used to torment me with the idea of earwigs, that they would (laughs) get in in, and eat my brain while I was sleeping. And maybe that's where the insomnia comes from. Okay, uh, (laughs) that that possibly could be. Totally different. But, yeah, earworms. Earworms. And and I've got mine, so they talk about that today, and I think it's uh, made some really good points about that. The only thing I really don't like about it is you'll hear when they we hear it is that um one of the songs they play that's the earworm i have now oh no <laughs> yeah i can't get an it earworm out. by pat cashman right exactly <laughs> so um anyhow and the other thing we're going to be talking about today is uh during a 
lull we have later in the show. I won't say it's a lull, but it's like subjects we meander about, meandering musings. I'm stealing that from Neil Peterson. That's what he mm. does in his blog. And as a matter of fact, I got some of my information from his blog on catalytic converters. We know about those. They've been getting stolen yes. in record numbers. He just gives a lot of practical advice on that, which I didn't know, and I'm going to share some of that with huh. the audience today. We're also going to be visiting with uh, the 12 most beautiful places to visit in Washington State, according to Trip Advisor. I think before the show we had uh, an idea that majority of them are over here on the west side, but there are a couple yeah. on the east side of the state which uh, are very uh, great attractions as well. And then I'm just going to end with uh, something along the lines from Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Magazine about 15 jobs that you can work at home. So that's we'll, great. Uh, go with Love that it. today. So let's just get right to uh, Pat Cashman and Lisa Foster with a slice of their peculiar podcast. Hey, uh, have you ever, I know you have, everybody has. Have you ever yeah. gotten a, what they call a um, um, earworm stuck in your head? Uh, it, usually it's a musical thing and you, it goes over and over in your brain. Uh, mm -hmm. When you're walking around, even when you're trying to go to sleep, uh, my yeah, I wife. Have, I currently, I currently have one right now. I can't, I can't get it out of my head. Okay, but, tell yeah. me what it is. It's Taylor Swift. Shake it off. I don't know why. I've. It's playing in my head while I'm sleeping. It's playing in in the morning. It's playing at night. I can't. I'll hum it. I'm like, God, where? Why is that happening? That's my current one. What's yours? Well, mine's much more more old school. And because it's in a commercial, maybe that's why it keeps coming back. But uh, the Johnny Cash song, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, oh, man. In my underwear, <laughs> man. I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. But you, if you look at the lyrics to that song, uh, he mentions Ellensburg in there, too. So. Oh. There's that. I've been to Pittsburgh, Parkersburg, Gravelburg, Colorado, Ellensburg, Rexburg, Vicksburg, Eldorado, Laramore, Atmore, Havistall, Chattanooga, Chaska, Nebraska, Alaska, Old Palaka, Baraboo, Waterloo, Kalamazoo, Kansas City, Sioux City, Cedar City, Dodge City, what a pity. I've been everywhere, man. But my wife has one right now, which is driving her nuts. And it's not just because of the song itself, but it's because of the implication of the song. And it's the uh, uh, Frankie Av uh, Frankie Valley, uh, okay. and and it's uh, my eyes adored you. Remember yeah. that song? Yeah. Yeah. But if you listen to the lyrics, he he, it, it's sort of like a peeping tom song. But what, whoever said he did, and so it becomes kind of creepy in a way. And he I've never mentioned, noticed that. And he mentions that he's never actually laid a hand on her. Oh, I never laid a hand on you. My eyes adored you. So well, that sounds more like that sounds more like he's loving her from afar, don't you think? Yeah, and I think, but don't you think 
I never laid a hand on you. Could have been rendered more artfully. Like I, I never, I never came close to you. I, I never, I looked I like you said, you. I, I, I viewed you from afar. That would have been yeah. more elegant than, well, boy, if I had that. a chance, if I had a chance to lay a hand, I mean, it's like, I never strangled you, but my eyes adored you. Well, I didn't take it like that. Well, like well, I never whipped you or yeah, beat you to the pole. I never garroted you, but my eyes adored you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He said he does go on to say, carried your books from school. Okay. Playing make believe you're married to me. Okay, what does make believe mean? Okay. So see, he, he's, <laughs> fantas he's fantasizing in, in a creepy grade. way. Yeah, walking home every day. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Find it worries me. It just worries me. And it obviously worries my wife, which is why she's trying to get the song out of her head. All right. Well, here's a sure, here's a surefire way. Let me, before you go there, this is a surefire way to get that earworm. If you want to get that out of your head. Mm -hmm. And I may try this today to get Taylor Swift's song out of my head. All you have to do is play about 12 seconds of It's a Small World. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just 12 seconds will do it, I promise you. Yeah, but that, but that, that is trading, uh, that is trading <laughs> prisoners for arms. That, that's no good. <laughs> I know, but just telling you. I know it would work, but it would work. a horrible price to pay. Yes, uh, <laughs> Oh, that's got me laughing, Paul. Okay, really. Well, I just really like to go to that segments and what they do in their peculiar podcast because it's true to the word that it is peculiar yes um but the thing is they tackle the biggest issues in the world exactly you know that one i have been thinking about for many times i've listened to it several times and yes that is just a really huge problem well her solution of the you know it's a small world so that brought me right back to when my daughter was five we were in line for that ride at disneyland it, you know the whole it's a small world right have you been on that i have yeah, okay a couple times so the guy in front of me had a very rambunctious child, and to, to keep the child at bay during the two-hour-long wait to get in, he would sing that to her over and over and over again. So by the time we got on the ride, I was about ready to lose it. Of course. <laughs> that song is definitely a worm. Well, yeah, worm. yeah, and I don't see, you know, to um, the defense of Pat, you know, Lisa Foster, I mean, this is controversial. Small, small world, I mean, that's going to be in my head. I mean, that's one that you can't get out. So I don't know if that's the solution. But we're going to have to debate this a lot longer. But yes. It's like a scorched earth policy, uh, right. using that to get Yeah, <laughs> getting I mean, like a hard, hard reboot. Out. You're going yes. to substitute small, small world for anything? It's a small anything? world, yeah, yeah. no. Um, it doesn't go, but the song I mentioned before that I now am not going to listen to their podcast anymore, it's that I've Been Everywhere, Man, that yeah. Johnny Cash song. yeah. Oh my God! I it's in a commercial right now. I, I think, think you're right. So, yeah. That's right. It is on the commercial, but 
I can't get that song out of my head. So thank you, Pat Cashman. <laughs> ah, Cashman and crew, you got to love it. Hey, let's go right into the interview I had with Susan Altman. She's executive director with American Lung Association. Welcome to the studios, Susan Altman. She's executive director of the American Lung Association right here in Washington. We're going to be talking about an important event. Uh, but first, of course, let's welcome her. Hi, Susan. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Eric. Really appreciate it. Love your name. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, another thing I, I, I just really love is the American Lung Association because of their longevity. It's amazing to me um, how well they have done really sort of branding themselves over what has been decades. I mean, I can see the logo. Uh, of course, the name is synonymous to the work you do. But uh, familiarize those who may have never heard of the American Lung Association. Really, what is the mission? How long has it been around? Yeah, we've been around for over 100 years, started with the tuberculosis pandemic. So um, obviously with COVID, mm. just kind of right in our rearview mirror, um, it was a very familiar experience for us as an organization, um, shifting gears and making sure to encompass what community needs look like. Uh, we started as a fundraising and fundraising organization that assisted patients uh, with tuberculosis. And so... We have evolved through that time where we currently support families and caregivers of patients with 46 lung diseases, obviously wanting to eliminate tobacco use mm -hmm. uh, and tobacco-related diseases. We're looking to improve air quality, both indoor and outdoor air quality. And um, most recently, we are uh, tackling lung cancer. So eliminating lung cancer and um, improving lung cancer screening rates. It's amazing to think about all the changes that have happened since the inception of the American Lung Association. 115 years, you mentioned tuberculosis, uh, you know, stamping that out. And then, of course, uh, smoking and how prevalent it was in, say, the early part of this century or last century, I should say, all the way up into the, you know, 60s and 70s. People were still seeing ads for cigarettes and things like that. Um, uh, in full disclosure, I actually just quit smoking six months ago. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I, um, I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say today. Let's talk about something that's really been in the news lately, say the last week and a half, and that's really been the wildfires as they affect us here. Now, of course, the wildfires have been hitting the East Coast and the Midwest, depending on the, the winds. But now we've, we got a bit of a taste of that, say, over the last 10 days. How dangerous is smoke of that level as it's coming from wildfires? And what can we do to protect ourselves? You know, when I joined the American Lung Association seven years ago, that was really our first summer that the Pacific Northwest really saw, you know, wildfire exacerbation. Mm -hmm. And we are looking at almost an annual occurrence now. And we know that... In the Puget Sound specifically, we think we have great air quality, and um, in some cases we do, in some cases we don't. There's de definitely inversion areas where we get pockets of poor air quality. But that being said, you know, we're Washington State. We have a lot of different climates here. The Yakima Valley is the lowest air quality, sometimes in the nation. Mm. So we definitely have issues, you know, year round with air quality, outdoor air quality. When we're talking about wildfire smoke, obviously in, you know, emergent need, we definitely are seeing people that have lung issues, have increased issues, have increased need for oxygen, have increased need for assistance. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw the wildfires in Spokane that just came through the Puget Sound the last 10 days, like you said, but 
you know, we've been seeing wildfire smoke, you know, wildfire issues in Hawaii this year. Right. Obviously, the huge wildfire that happened in Lahaina, Spokane here in Washington State and all across California. So what people really need to think about is what air they're breathing and how healthy that they can make that. So that looks like being in an air conditioned environment. So maybe some of us are making mm. the decision to go into the office that day instead of working from home because many of us don't have air conditioned situations in our in our living environment. That means using um, a recycled feature on your car. So instead of bringing in uh, fresh air or um, air automatically from the outside environment, using recycled air and your air con- your air con in your car. And that's usually and that that's usually the button with the arrow that sort of reverses back on itself, right. correct? Okay. The, the reverse back arrow, exactly. And that also means limiting what your, you know, your external or outside activities are. And that can mean things like canceling kiddos, sports mm-hmm. activities outside. Um, we definitely saw past year's recommendations that uh, we were talking to summer camps and, um, you know, different uh, sports events that we were making recommendations to cancel the event because it's just not healthy for kids to be outside. And it's interesting to see, you know, I grew up here and now local news really talks about air quality in particular during the summer. And, and I think that's extremely helpful uh, to know because like you say, especially as you age, you may have bronchitis, you're recovering from that or or, or you're just susceptible to smoke. Uh, it, it just lets you know, hey, this is a day you want to be careful, you know, limit your time outside. Uh, I had mentioned quitting smoking. I, I know that a lot of people that have tried, a lot of times they think, well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit smoking tobacco cigarettes, and I'm going to go with vaping. Uh, vaping seems so much safer. Is that even true? No, we know that um, one vape pod is the equivalent uh, nicotine to a pack of cigarettes. Oh, my gosh. So what we are seeing is that um, while we don't have as much length of research on what vaping cause is on the body we know based on what tobacco research has been what cigarette smoke research has been anything that you're inhaling is not going to be a healthy situation for your body so we know that um, most people that are using vaping as a tobacco cessation or a smoking cessation aid are land up using both and so that's not necessarily (laughs) helping their addiction because they're getting nicotine from from both uh, sources. What we're seeing here in Washington state in particular is a really epidemic rise of vaping in kids. Mm. Um, We know that tobacco companies, um, nicotine companies are using guerrilla marketing toward kids. They're um, masking uh, the maybe not great taste of, uh, of vape juice, just like they did, you know, in the seventies and eighties with menthol, they're using, Mm. um, fruit flavors and candy flavors and making um, making it something that is really accessible and interesting to kids. Yeah. Um, they're also really marketing it as um, fragrance or breath freshener or, um, you know, it's candy. And it's absolutely not. And we also know that anything that a kiddo is ingesting while they're still growing, and again, that's really to the mid-20s, um, is affecting their body long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the devices they use look really chic and they, they're convenient. You put them in your pocket. And like you said, the flavors, a lot of people say, well, you know, what kind of flavor do you like? It almost becomes a club, if you will. And that's not mm-hmm. the best club to be in. Um, right. Let's talk about some resources that are out there. Thanks to the American Lung Association and other associations that align themselves with you for helping people quit smoking or helping people avoid vaping, let's say. 
Yeah, we uh, we have some great partners um, statewide. Obviously, any kind of quit quit line program, we're really interested in partnering with. But we wanted to uh, to specifically offer parents um, a new program that we've released called Vape, the Vape Free Talk. The, or the vape talk, and that can be accessed on lung.org. And that's really a step-by-step -step guide for parents to help, you know, kiddos to help that conversation with kids. So we know that it's back to school. We know that, um, you know, I have a new middle schooler starting. That's a definite conversation that I'm having with them. And just as a, as an aside, we also know that tobacco cessation, and you know, this in particular, quitting tobacco is hard. We know that it's not a one-time um, decision. It's it's a it's a long process in making a decision and and being making a su successful quit attempt. So we know that all of the tobacco cessation aids or the nicotine replacement aids aren't FDA approved for kids. So we're sp specifically interested in in getting kids um, resourcing available to them. We've done a really great job about making tobacco-free campuses, but now when kiddos are caught with tobacco substances on campus, they're typically expelled. And so we definitely don't think that that's a great hmm. environment for students to be in. And so we're offering um, a program called In-Depth, which is an alternative to suspension or expulsion program, where it's curriculum where we're teaching kids what's happening and what, what they're doing to their body when they're making the choice to use nicotine. So both of those programs are available for school-age kids and parents, and we want to you know definitely point them out to school districts and um, community partners and parents uh, in particular. You know, having been a parent myself, uh, a lot of times when you try to teach your kids something sort of in, in one ear and out the other. And then suddenly if they, they get the same lesson from somewhere else, maybe it's another adult or, or a respected situation, they then will act in the correct way. So uh, one of the things I like is you have an event coming up. Kids like to ride bikes. Parents like to ride bikes with their kids. It's a great time to have this conversation, plus do some good. It's called Reach the Beach WAM. This is in the at the end of September. Do you want to talk about that event? Yeah, our cycling event is a hundred mile route from Lacey out to Westport. There's four distance options. So there's definitely a, a route available to all people and it's a point to point route. So everyone's finishing at the, um, the finish line party in Westport. And we're really excited to partner with those communities along the route and um, use our lungs in a healthy way and raise some money for the American Lung Association. So um, more information at reachthebeachwa.org. Um, we're really excited um, for not only the continuation of this event, but our sister event in Oregon, which takes place in May. So reachthebeach.org for both the Oregon and Washington event. That's wonderful. And that's on 930, which is the last Saturday in September. Uh, check out reachthebeach.org. That's reachthebeach.org. And heck, once you've made the ride, then you get to uh, reward yourself with some great food. And I was just in Westport, love Bennett's, love Marino's. Um, there's also a wonderful Mexican restaurant there. I, the name escapes me. I'm sure if you're on their website, you can learn all about that. Uh, spend a little bit of money in the town there at Westport. Uh, thank you so much, Season, for for not only coming on today, but your work. You've done six years of work with the American Lung Association and 20 years in nonprofit. So um, that's a wonderful thing to do, to do that kind of a job and lay your head on the pillow and know you're doing some good each and every day. Thanks for help promoting, Eric. All right. Check out uh, reachthebeach.org. That's reachthebeach.org to learn more about that charity ride. Take care.
There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with Eric Crema and Eric Ryder. We are coming to you live from beautiful downtown Factoria. Yes. I stole that from Johnny Carson. Remember, beautiful downtown Burbank. 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 Yes. And it's sunny out right now. If you turn around, it's the last time you get to see the sun for like four months, but check it out. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's see. We're going to move into our Voices of History phase and... Uh, What's going on on this day, or a couple days before and a couple days after. Anyhow, let's get it rolling. On October 30th, 1938, Martians invaded our planet and annihilated much of the population with heat rays. Do you remember that? Little before my time. Yeah, it was a terrible thing, but it was a fiction, and it was called War of the Worlds, uh, with Orson Welles' broadcast that originated from Mercury Mercury Theater in New York. I didn't really know what happened because I've always heard that they had a disclaimer at the beginning saying, this is not true, fellas mm-hmm. out there, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, this is all fake. Don't worry about it. And then they launched into it. But still, people went insane. And a lot of people, from what I understand, died. Yeah. People and, uh, tuned in late. That's <laughs> it. And why, why, Eric, did they tune in late? Well, I believe that there was the music on uh, one of the other major networks, like, uh, and, you know, when they switched to a song that people weren't crazy about, I guess they started uh, surfing the dial. Uh, well, so that is probably some of it because, yeah, yeah there are millions of people listening right. to the radio. But what I read when I was doing my deep research into this mm-hmm. is that there was a ventriloquist on another oh, station, like right. NBC or yeah. something. And that ran like five or eight minutes over. And this show was underway when they tuned in. And that's why so many people didn't hear the disclaimer. Why would you tune out from ventriloquism (laughs) on the radio? (laughs) I have no idea. That's a hard thing to pull off. I thought about that. That's another reason I don't like. You would never see those lips moving. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe it wasn't a ventriloquist. What's the one that's got the clown on their you know, well, uh, that's a, yeah, that's a yeah, they have a clown on their thing. I guess that's I'll, another reason not to like that. <laughs> I may have to go back and research that more, <laughs> but it does sound crazy. <laughs> right. I'm a ventriloquist, not as crazy as aliens have taken over, yeah. but still pretty crazy. Very true. All right, well, let's move to 50 years ago today. I've got this one, I'm thinking. But go you ahead. do? All right, Howard Hughes, the spruce goose, yes, flies for the first time. Um, at one time, it was the largest aircraft ever made. 
Um, you know, it had a wingspan. Again, I didn't know this. Over a hundred yards of football field. It was larger wow. than a football field. The uh, wingspan. Didn't really know why he was doing it, but it was a contract with the U.S. government to try to build this huge floating mm. boat yeah. that would fly and escort, not escort, but ship uh, soldiers in World War II off to destinations to fight. Wow. Um, it never really, almost literally, got off the ground. Never did get off the ground, but it did fly, but that will come in just a moment. But uh, I guess it was over budget. Congress wasn't happy about it. So on this day, Howard Hughes took it out of the hangar in Long Beach, California, and it was on the water is where mm. it took off from. I understand it got 700 feet in the air, went for one mile, and then landed in. And that's the one and only time this uh, aircraft ever flew. Um, wow. So he landed it. Now where, where did it end up? Do ah, thank you for that. It was like <laughs> you teased me. I said, I'm Eric, ask me this question. Here. And you did. <laughs> It is now at the um, Aviation Museum in McMinnville, Oregon. Oregon. Oh, 50 wow. miles southwest of Portland. I got to go see that. I that feel neat. the same way. I wish I had known that before um, I did this research into this. And again, this comes courtesy of History Channel, uh, all these that I'm getting. It's a fascinating site. So if you're into this stuff, visit that. So after all these years, do you think they spruced it up again? I don't sorry. know. That's sorry. that's, 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 that's sorry. I, I I'm just can't uh, wrap my hands around that or head around that one. Um, oh, November third, nineteen ninety eight. Former professional wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura is elected governor of Minnesota. His opponents: Hubert Humphrey, son of a of former Vice President Hubert Humphrey, and the mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota. They spent over $4.3 million on their campaigns. Ventura, the Reform Party candidate, spent $250,000. Wow. He raised his money by selling $22 T-shirts and accepting $50 donations from supporters. Most of that money was spent on spandex. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he needed some good outfit for the campaign. Of course. (laughs) But uh, kind of Mr. Plain Speaking, why did he win? I heard some people saying the guy was authentic. He just, yeah. you know, was the real deal. Um, if he said he didn't know something, he didn't know. And he probably said that more often than he said, I knew something. But nonetheless, yeah, people loved it. And I guess he tried to run for president in 2020. Didn't go far, but yeah. he was uh, doing that, I guess. He's, so he's still active in that way. Let's see more on the um, well, one more about uh, international news and national on November 4th, 1979. The Iran hostage crisis begins after the U.S. embassy in Tehran is stormed. The radical Islamic fundamentalists took 90 hostages, most of them Americans. It lasted for 444 days. You know, that was the first time on any news broadcast, and they do it all the time now. They come up with special graphics and things. If there's a hurricane approaching, five days to impact, four days, you know, that kind of a thing. It was the opposite then. Do you remember that every night it was a big number? Right. You know, hunt, it's day 122, day one, you know, throughout. It was exactly. like how they opened up the news. Exactly. That was Walter Cronkite, I believe, mm. in the day 327 mm-hmm. of the hostage crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, good night from CBS News. Uh, yeah. And I know that 
reading that President Carter was furious at that because it kept it out there going. Like, sure, sure. You, know, didn't we, want you can understand that. Center. On a more local level, on October 30th, 1925, KJR in Seattle doubled the strength of their transmitter to 1,000 watts, and it could be heard as far away as Alaska then. And then uh, around the same time, KHQ Radio in Spokane debuted also at 1,000 watts. Mm. So that was the beginning of radio nice. in this area. Another radio um, additive here is that in 1973, K-A-Y-E in Puyallup went off the air after a long fight with the FCC. And it was related to what's known as the Fairness Doctrine. The station was accused of bias against Jews and blacks. Really? Absolutely. And that is why the Fairness Doctrine was so important, I believe, to the communications in this country. It lasted till 1987, and it was repealed. So, for example... If today I say something like, um, oh, gosh, the election was stolen. Yes. And I'm just saying I I know all this stuff. I would have been required prior to 1987 to have someone on the show next week going, no, it wasn't. And here's why. So the audience would hear both sides. Like a point counterpoint. The rise of Rush Limbaugh in the 90s was able to happen because he couldn't get away with all he was saying all out there. No one else could have under the Fairness Doctrine. And I think that was one nail in the coffin, in my view, as to where we're at today with so many people just having their own news sources. There's other things, of course, but that was the beginning of it. Interesting, yeah. Anybody want to comment on that? You can call uh, 425-653-1166. Leave your message. If you have any other view on that, we'll get it on the air. That's 425-653-1166. So um, that takes care of Voices in History today, boys and girls. What do you think? I feel pretty good about how I performed. I do, too. I missed a couple. Right. Um, and, and they were mostly positive this week. Well, that's due to Eric. <laughs> I'm looking at Eric. He's staring at me from last week. And so, You're so I was depressing. waiting. I was trying to think back to my history with the Spruce Goose, and I was like, wait a minute. Did it crash? Are we going to end with yeah, that? Yeah, Paul's doing this. It must have crashed. <laughs> oh, it landed safely. Always yeah. fascinating stuff. Yeah, I hope so. I, I enjoy it, so I hope other people do. And again, that one came, the local came from uh, historylink.org, and that's a local organization, nonprofit that was started by the late Walt Crowley. Remember him? Oh, yeah. He started this uh, site, and it's just wonderful, and it's nice to just dip back into the that's history great. of this state as well. I feel smarter. Good. Well, let's see. Where we go from here is um, Adele Ferguson. Uh, She was uh, the first female journalist in Washington State. And I had the opportunity to interview her about 20 years ago. And uh, she worked for the Bremerton Sun. In 1957, she was excluded from a journalist tour on the USS Nautilus a nuclear-powered submarine. And the reason she was excluded is that because she was a woman. Hmm. And uh, she wrote a column about, this is mine, the snub on the sub. I made that one up. You made that up. I don't usually do good at that stuff, but I went, wow, that kind of came to me. The snub on, or excuse me, the snub on the sub. And she wrote a column, and it attracted a nationwide audience. 
and the Navy reversed themselves and said, we'll allow you on the sub and gave her a personal tour. Nice. But that's Adele Ferguson. Let's pick up with my interview with her, and that's what she talks about, her first uh, part of the interview. What story did you write that you believe had the biggest impact on a given situation? The one that probably got the most attention was when the submarine Nautilus came to uh, Seattle back in the late 50s, and uh, they put a notice out to that it was going to sail up to Everett, and the media was invited to a few select reporters were going to get to go. So we sent my name in, and the Navy uh, called back and said I couldn't go. And I, we asked, why? And he said, well, you're a woman. I said, well, yeah, I know that. You know, I noticed that. Gosh, you know, I look in the mirror all the time. So they said, well, we don't allow any women on the model. I said, well, why not? And they said, well, there are all kinds of powder rooms for the men, but there aren't any for the women. And I said, well, we don't have the separate facilities at home either, but it doesn't cause any problem. You know, my husband calls when he calls, I go and I go. And he said, well, you can't go. And I said, see, it's only going to be a couple of hours. Surely I can hold it from here to Everett. <laughs> he said, you can't go. Well, I called um, Henry Jackson. He tried to do something for me, and they, they, they refused. I called U.S. Senator Margaret Chase Smith of Maine, who was the first woman to ever go aboard a Navy ship of the line, and she hadn't been on the Nautilus either. So, but the Navy said, well, all right, they'll make a little deal with me. Okay, I can come down to the Nautilus, and I can step on board the deck of the Nautilus, and just before they leave, I have to get off. And I said, no, thanks. And I wrote a story about it, and it went everywhere it ran all over the united states particularly heavy you know on front page stuff in the in the navy towns and the other towns and the navy was just catching hell from the army and the air force and the other outfit what you know what a big bunch of pansies you guys are anyway a year later the nautilus came back and i got a letter from the navy officially inviting me to sail up to everett on board the nautilus and i went on board and uh they did a little ceremony and had the sailors out on deck, and they had a, gave me some cartoons showing an outhouse on the deck of the Nautilus and sailors marching up and down, and they made me an honorary member of the crew. And before I left, I didn't really have to go, but I thought, I owe myself this. So I did go, and then you have to go, but I went in the bathroom and shut the door anyway, just so that they'd know that I wasn't going to get off that ship without visiting the head. What story are you most proud of over the years? I think I'm probably proudest of when I take on something that seems impossible, like some old guy over here at the Retzel Veterans Home that they're trying to kick out because he wants to know what they're doing with the money of the members. That what they always do with these veterans homes is they stick some old retired captain in there and he wants to run it like a ship and everybody's supposed to kiss his behind you know so this guy wouldn't do it and they tried to they order him out of there and i took on the fight of not you know keeping him there it took a year or so and i had a file that was two inches thick with stuff that i had written and we fought 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 and that guy got to stay and that's the kind of stuff I guess I'm proudest of. The role of journalism today, the role of newspapers and the media, uh, how do you think it's uh, being portrayed today and how people are viewing it? And, and what do you us. think about that? People hate us. And I think one of the problems is after uh, newspapers, back when I first started in the newspaper business, which was back in the 40s, the late 40s, why uh, we were we were true journalists. Now, there's People always say, oh, you're Dale, you're a journalist. No, I'm not. I'm a columnist. A journalist is not supposed to have any bias or any opinion. A journalist presents the facts the way they are. Well, they got it got into advocacy journalism, and I think the teachers did it. The teachers in the journalism schools were sending these kids out of the schools and so forth who were going if they were if they were the environmental reporter, they took the inside of environment and everything was environment and anti business and industry. And if they were in politics they chose what you know, they picked their party and 
uh, if you were somebody who was a conservative and you were kinder to the Republicans than you were the Democrats and vice versa. And people got tired of that. Reporters have tried to be more like what the big shots on TV are. They want to be part of the story. And I think they have to step back and not be part of the story. And if the editors let them get away with it, it's the editor's fault. They shouldn't do that. Are you optimistic no. about the future of the state? Oh, sure. What the heck? Yes. We have trade. We're, we're very friendly with the Asians. We got Governor Gary Lockman. Oh, he's a nice guy. And, uh, and it will be a good governor if he doesn't go overboard. But, yes, I'm very, I'm very uh, optimistic about the future of this state. Very much so. What can we expect in the future of ADL Ferguson? Well, God knows I don't know. You know, I'm really, I'm stuck with this column. I can't, every time I seem like I want to stop it, when I, I get an enormous amount of mail. I get a lot more mail than I did when I was also a political writer. So I think I'm going to hang around a while longer. I uh, write for about 35 papers in the state. And uh, you get to where you like to write. And the only thing I don't like about it is you got to always have to think about that deadline. You get tired of meeting deadlines. So uh, I guess I'll still be just out there doing what I can, as long as people read it. Again, that was Adele Ferguson, and um, she started her career in 1961, and her career stretched over 50 years, and uh, she was with the Washington Press Capital Press Corps in Olympia. Former Secretary of State Ralph Monroe said of Ferguson's influence in Olympia, quote, Elected officials would rush to the one newsstand that carried the Bremerton Sun in the legislative building to see who she had drowned in her column (laughs) this week. Adele knew how to hit and hit hard. Love it. She was a pit bull. Yeah. I mean, she really was. Fair. But, uh, again, she really uh, took her job seriously. On-the-job training, she never had a journalism course. I don't think she ever went to college. She had, like, Ten sisters and brothers and moved from Minnesota. Just a fascinating uh, background in history. I actually had an issue that we were trying to get through the legislature at the time, and she slammed the door on that one. Um, but what the heck? She was uh, a good, good person and uh, really enjoyed that interview I had with her. And it's Eric, you just reminded me as well. She has a bridge across Washington State Route 305 near Paulsbo. Yep. That's named after her, the Adele Ferguson overpass in her honor. Yeah, I've been, been across that several times, lived in Paulsbo for a while, but I didn't know the backstory. So thank you for that, Paul. Really interesting interview. Yeah, I thought so too. So let's see. We're going to uh, get back to you in just a few moments, and we're just going to exit here for a second and be back with uh, – we're just going to talk about some subjects here. That you sounds and I, really Eric, good, yeah. That's then, a, the catalytic converter I want to start out with. We'll get back and banter back and forth. Yes. Sounds good to me. So here we're back, just gone for a few moments. Hope no one left. But uh, just want to have a kind of free-flow discussion, Eric, with some subjects going on. And certainly, Eric, if you have some opinions on this, uh, please chime in. Catalytic converter. We've heard a lot about that. Let me run through some statistics. And again, this comes courtesy of Neil Peterson in his uh, blog, Mandar- Mirandering. Musings, always easy for me to pronounce, say that. 
Um, NeilsTrips.com is where you can see that. I'll give that out again. This is where I got this information from, so let me just jump in. Catalytic converters, stolen in 2018, 1,300. Stolen in 2021, 52,000. Oh. Why are so many being stolen? The value and cost of the precious metals inside the catalytic converters, platinum, palladium, and rhodium. Platinum was recently trading at $900 per ounce, palladium $2,200 per ounce, and rhodium at $13,000 an ounce. So there's where you get the demand. Um, And also, it takes about 30 seconds to one minute to uh, steal a catalytic converter. What is a catalytic converter? It's a key component of the car's emissions control system. Got that. Now, here are the 10 most targeted vehicles. Number one, Toyota Prius, 2001 to 2021. Ford F-Series, 1985 to 2021. Honda Accord, 1989 to 2020. Um, Chevrolet Silverado, 1999 to 2021. Tacoma, 1995 to 2021. Now, what do they do, can you do, actually, to prevent this? You can install a catalytic converter anti-theft device. It's like a screen that you can put around it. Um, You can also go to a muffler shop and etch the car's VIN number in the converter along with a very vibrant paint job that can withstand higher heat. Hmm. So there's two things you can do. To replace a stolen catalytic converter and can run anywhere between $1,300 to $3,000. And what prompted Neil to write about this is he had a catalytic converter stolen from him. Stolen. So I hope that was helpful. Give me some feedback on that in the studio. I mean, um, yeah, just, it, it is helpful be because a lot of times you hear about the problem, but they don't really go in depth and talk about are, there's a, are there any ways to prevent it? What kind of costs are you looking at? I think that's helpful. What would you say, Ern? Yeah, no, I, I think it's important stuff. I'm I drive an electric car now, and so no catalytic catalytic converter, and I'm extremely grateful <laughs> that mm-hmm. I don't really have to think about that anymore uh, until they find something to steal off electric cars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, which I'm sure will come eventually, but right now it's like oh. One less thing to worry about, you know. Well, I guess for me, it was like I didn't really, I knew they were stealing it for the metals or something, but I had no idea the value of the metals Amazing. that are in there. You know, I mean, that's incredible. Well, and I guess, I mean, is there a way that maybe the wherever they're taking this, the scrap right. metal, play, how are they not culpable in some way if it's someone just drops off one and it's hacksawed off on either Ex- side? Exactly. I don't. I, I don't think we've, you know, seen the uh, law enforcement uh investigative work yet or maybe they have but they've kept it quiet of where the sale is taking place you know it's one thing to accumulate these uh catalytic converters but i i don't think that most of the people that are stealing them are back in a shop somewhere melting them down and you know and selling the raw materials they're they're taking them somewhere and um all the reports i've heard are you know the scrap uh 
dealers say that they're not buying any of them. So right. where are they going? Well, I just heard someone was busted or something like back in the Midwest or close that, you know, he's like $52 million he's made from this or something. <sighs> wow. So there is a market for these, obviously, and um, there are people that are buying them up for this. So uh, that's a good question, though. But I did read something about that. There was a big bust on this or something. So anyhow, know something that maybe you didn't know before this. Um, and how about this one shifting to a more pleasant subject, and that would be from TripAdvisor, the 12 most beautiful places in Washington State. I'll just list them off, and then we can talk about them. Snoqualmie Falls is number one, Mount Rainier National Park, Washington Waterways via ferry. So hop on a ferry and just go for an afternoon ride on the ferry. Paulsbo is there. (laughs) There you go. Back to Paulsbo's in there. San Juan Islands, of course. North Cascades National Park, Hurricane Ridge Olympic National Park, the Rainforest Olympic National Park, and the Wilderness Coasts Olympic National Park. And um, I didn't know much about this one, but it is on the coast. And you should, if you want to uh, uh, access this, you can go to Lake Ozette or something like that. Yes. Ozette, is that what it is? Okay. Ozette. And I guess you know something about that. I guess it's really accessible and beautiful. Yeah, and I think there's a lodge there. I've always wanted to go there. I'm not sure if it's on tribal lands or not, but I remember seeing a picture of the lodge. Have you been there, Eric? Have you been to that lake, Ozat? I haven't, but it, uh, I'm just looking at pictures now. It is beautiful. Real pretty, huh? Yeah. And Lake Crescent is up yes. there as well, and that's another beautiful spot. Yeah. That, that drive around Lake Crescent yeah. is amazing. I've got to give it to Snoqualmie Falls, though. That's where I asked my wife to marry me. Oh, good. Yeah, back way back in the 80s. All right. Well, you got to get a copy of this show it's and still play it working. tonight. You're going to probably get a work. nice dinner or something That's else, right. huh? Very nice. Um, I missed three, actually, when I got off of this, but Mount St. Helens National Park is there, National Park Grand Coulee Corridor, National Scenic Byway, which um, is a desert corridor. I had to look this up, 150-mile desert corridor around, uh, obviously, Coulee Dam. And then there's a Sun Lakes Dry Falls State Park. Let's uh, say that one more time. Sun Lakes Dry Falls State Park. Because mm. it used to be the largest waterfall in the world. And now it's dry. I don't know why, but that's there. Mm. And then there's a Steptoe Butte State Park, 3,600-foot uh, mountain that is um, on a clear day you can see 200 miles. And it's uh, located... In the Palouse Rolling Hills, it's about uh, 28 miles north of Washington State University campus. You know, regardless, Paul, I would recommend anyone that lives in the state and just doesn't sort of get out of King, Pearson, Snohomish County to really take a weekend and drive to other places of this state. It is beautiful. And it's mm-hmm. unlike any other state in the nation in terms of topography and climate and the trees. And then you go to mountains. And, the, and it's just amazing. Um and I only say that because when I lived in Bend, Oregon, I didn't take enough advantage of all the scenery and things to do there because I lived there. I felt like, yeah, I'll get to it next weekend, you know, <laughs> Yes, and you just don't. We yeah. all do that. We're truly blessed. I mean, we're our natural surroundings are, you know, some of the most gorgeous in the world. And, you know, Washington State, it's the smallest state landmass-wise in the West. True. And have all this 
it's a big state, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not like Wyoming or sure. you know uh, Nevada would drive forever, but or California. But to have all this in this state, the Pacific Ocean, the yeah. mountains, then you go east of the mountains. I went to school at Washington State University, and I fell in love with the Palouse. When I first got there, it was like I love the trees and all mm-hmm. this and the mountains, and I still do. But that beauty over there, some of the most beautiful sunsets I've seen in my life is in the Palouse Hills. Yeah. Now, you have to hit it at the right time. Uh, spring and early summer is great, and the fall is wonderful. The colors are, are magnificent. And the, as I say, the sky and, and the sunsets are, you know, very spectacular. But uh, you're I right, I understand, Eric. too, there's a college out there that's not too bad. Yeah, college is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I get back there the quite Cougs. a bit. Yeah, when I went there, there were 13,000 students, undergraduates. Now it's 26,000. Wow. So it's grown quite a bit. Beautiful campus. Um, let's see what else. We're kind of coming in the uh, home stretch here, and I wanted to get into something else, and that is about, um, let's say you want to work at home. You're an entrepreneur, and you're looking for something to do, and uh, this is according to Entrepreneur Magazine. I won't be able to get through them all, but here are some ideas. Event planner. I mean, that is something that you can do from home. Um, editing and proofreading. They're needed. In, in many different uh, quarters, like doing shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so many people are using content on their websites. It is just an expanding field. So if you're a good writer, I mean, these are things that you can do and uh, really uh, take advantage of that. Bookkeeper. I mean, think about that. The other thing is, I didn't know this, but you don't need to be a CPA to be a bookkeeper. Um, you can just sign up for a bookkeeping class at uh, a community college or do it even online, and that's something that you can make pretty good money off doing. Um, I know a friend of mine who's been doing that for a while, and he's doing very, very well. Uh, let's see, a travel agent, hmm. number of those possibilities. I've known a few people who have started that. Voice work, hey, why don't we do that? I mean, yeah. look at doing something like that. Um, so, yeah, again, writing would be a big one to do from your home. Um, there's bloggers, there's so many things out there that you can do. Baker, caterer, chef, um, cooking, all that you can do from literally your own kitchen. And, uh, the thing is, is that these jobs are paying much better than they used to. And, and because of now there's such a shortage now of people really seeking employment and have left the employment field. So there's like a big hole in the line right now that you can go and uh, get some work there. But that's, again, according to Entrepreneur Magazine. Any comments before we go? Uh, not really, other than to say that uh, that's interesting. I, you know, it may, makes sense when you give the list, but a lot of these things I never thought of. Right. So, yeah. And how many times have you heard someone starting a business out of their kitchen? You yeah. know, really. Right. And they, yeah. they just produce the most magnificent cookies or, you know. Sure. Yeah. And then just suddenly, boom, they're a, they're a hit. So, Eric, how much time do we have before we get into the one-hit wonder? Well, we should wrap up. Like, do I got 10 seconds? <laughs> go for it. <laughs> All right, go for it. Okay, I'm just going to do the quote of the week then. Um, imagine yourself as an idiot. Then imagine yourself as a member of Congress. Wait a minute. I repeated myself. Mark Twain. All right, this week's one-hit wonder coming up next.
This week's one hit wonder was an upbeat song that was released during turbulent times. It gave people hope collectively for a better tomorrow. It has been re-recorded by a number of artists, including Daryl Hall and John Oates, Dusty Springfield, Mary Wilson, Richie Havens, The Spinners, and a number of other groups. In 2014, the original version was introduced to a new generation via its use of Guardians of the Galaxy, the soundtrack of which became the number one album in the nation. The following band got their name from their mother because as the five children, when they were growing up, when they stood shoulder to shoulder, they looked like stair steps. From April of 1970, Alohi, Gene, Clarence Jr., James, Dennis, and Kenny. Ooh Child by the Five Stair Steps. Ooh Child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh Child, things will get brighter. Things will get brighter 